0: So many of you have, uh, have asked how I'm doing, I appreciate that, appreciate your expressions of sympathy, and uh, I've managed to control the crying for the most part. There's, uh, it's only a game, there's always next year, of course I don't believe either one of those two statements, but you have to say that or you look like a sore loser. So, um, sometimes it's fun to play what if isn't it? I mean, what if your knees bent backwards instead of forwards? What would a chair look like? Ever think about that? What if you try to fail and succeed? Which have you done? What if a member of a synchronized swimming team drowns? Do the other ones have to drown too? Oh, that's kind of morbid, isn't it? Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to New Hope. What if a child refuses to sleep during nap time? Are they guilty of resisting a rest? (laughs) What if a bunch of cats jumped on top of each other? Is it still called a dog pile? What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about? What if a place kicker could kick a 53-yard field goal with one second left on the clock? (laughs) That's a message for another day. Today we begin our Christmas message series, The Promise. We're going to be looking at the promise of the Messiah and what that meant, what it meant to Jesus, certainly, what it meant to his mother and father, but today we want to begin looking at what the promise of Jesus means to you and me, to the whole world. In John chapter 15, verse 22, Jesus invites us to consider a possibility, a, a, a what if. And it's not even a whole verse, it's just a, it's just a fragment, it's just a portion of something Jesus said when he was talking about something else, but the words jump off the page and kind of grab us by the throat. Because in John, right in the middle of John 15, 22, Jesus says, if I had not come. What if Jesus had not come to earth? What if he hadn't been born in Bethlehem? What if he never walked on water? What if he never made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the lame to walk? What if he had never spoken words that teach us? and challenge us and lead us to God. What if he had never raised the dead? What if he had never gone to the cross? What if he never rose from the dead? What if he never sent his followers out into the world? Where would we be? What kind of world would this be? How would things be different if Jesus had not come? We'll talk some more about that in a few moments. And Jesus says, if I had not come, like I said, the words kind of rattle us a little bit. They make us think. They make our minds go places that we don't want to go. So thank God he did. And history has been changed forever. I mean, think about it. Jesus walked on this earth for a little over 30 years. And everything is changed. His first coming, his birth is so significant that just the moment of his birth splits time into two. And there's another verse that invites us to consider this timing of Jesus coming to earth. It's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where the apostle Paul writes, But when the right time came, God sent his Son, born of woman, subject to the law. When the right time came, God sent his son. That phrase there, the right time, it's talking about something that's complete, fully developed. They used it in agriculture to talk about fruit that was ripe and ready to be picked, uh, crops that were ready to be harvested. It was a medical term used to describe a, a pregnant woman who was in labor pains ready to deliver her baby. It describes the moment in history when everything's in place, when all the pieces are on the board, the one moment when the stage is perfectly set, and at that moment, and not one second before nor one second later, God sent his son. It was the fulfillment of an ancient promise. God's timing is perfect. Thank you, the the person that said amen. Oh, nobody did? Okay. It's true, though. His timing is perfect. God is never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. Of course, the Jews have been waiting a long, long time for the Messiah. One of our Christmas carols says, come thou long expected Jesus born to set thy people free. And that's really quite accurate. The Jews had been expecting the Messiah for a long, long time. From the very beginning of time. Way back in the time of the Garden of Eden. You go all the way back there and God promises to send his son. He tells Adam and Eve, he promises that one day the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now Adam and Eve couldn't have known it. But that was a direct prediction of the coming of Jesus Christ and how he would deal with Satan. You go forward a a few hundred years later. God promises Abraham, uh, you will have a son. And through your son and his descendants, the whole world will be blessed. It was a prediction, a prophecy, if you will, about Jesus. Move forward again a few hundred years later. God says that the scepter will be found in Judah. The scepter was carried by whom? The king. This was God's way of saying that the Christ, the Messiah, was going to be born in the tribe of Judah. Go forward again a few hundred more years. God promises David David, one day you'll have a son who will sit on your throne eternally, his reign will be everlasting. Now surely David didn't think I'm going to have a son who's immortal, who never dies. No, he understood that to mean that out of my house, out of my family, out of my family tree, is going to come the everlasting king. And so the promise kind of narrows down, doesn't it? As you move from Adam to Abraham to the tribe of Judah to the throne of David. Add a few more hundred years in there. And Isaiah... Narrows it down even more. He says, a young virgin will give birth to a child and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And A few hundred years after that, the prophet Micah declares that the Messiah is going to be born in this little, nondescript, insignificant little crossroads village called Bethlehem. Now, all that's in the Old Testament. And I want you to know, I'm only scratching the surface. That's just a handful of those prophecies and predictions about Jesus. There are hundreds of them. And the Jews knew them all. Now, they couldn't necessarily fit them all together. They didn't necessarily understand everything that they knew. But they understood enough. And they knew enough to know this. There was a hope. There was a dream. There was a desire see the Messiah. A Jewish man prayed every day of his life that he would live long enough to see the Messiah and that if he could not live long enough that his sons or his children would live long enough to see the Messiah. He prayed it every day. The Old Testament comes to an end with the prophet Malachi. If you look at your Old Testament, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi lived about 430 years before Jesus. And when he closed his book and finished it, there begins a period that the Bible scholars call the silent years, the 400 silent years, because in that time there is no prophet. There is no one speaking to the people from God. There is no one writing down scripture from God to his people. It's as if heaven goes silent. It's as if God forgets about his promises. But he didn't. He was just waiting for the right time. See, when the right time came, God sent his son. And while he waited, he prepared. When Christ came, the earth was a prepared place. See, I believe that God arranges events and uses people. And you see this when you step back into the perspective of history and look at what did we know about the world when Jesus was born? Well, we know several things. One we know, it, it was a time of peace. Janus was the Roman god of war. And whenever Rome was in battle somewhere in the world, the doors to the temple of Janus remained open. When Jesus was born, however, those doors were closed, had been for some time. It was only the second time in history they had been closed for any length of time. Because there was no war, no battle. It's known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Because they weren't at war, the Romans could focus on other things. Now think about this. They could focus on building a system of roads all over the empire. They had a saying in the empire, all roads lead to Rome. And that's exactly what they did during the Pax Romana. They built roads that led from Rome to every part of the empire all over the world. Roads that just a few years later, the followers of Jesus would use as they traveled all over the world preaching and teaching the gospel. It was during that time of peace that the Greek language was kind of instituted as the universal language throughout the empire. The subservient nations, the nations that had been taken over, all spoke their native languages, but they also spoke Greek. And they learned to read and write in Greek. Now think about this. Our New Testament, the beginning with the story of Jesus and then the story of the early church, is all written in the Greek language a language everyone in the Roman Empire could understand. And it was only possible because they had resources to use to teach that instead of using them for war. God was preparing the world. It was a time of peace. It was a time of religious change. The Jews, for the very first time in history during those 400 silent years, Migrated to every part of the world. They had just kind of been concentrated there in in what we call Palestine today, that, that part of the world, that region. But they went everywhere. They went everywhere the Roman Empire existed. And everywhere they went, they built synagogues. Now the significance of that is that Christianity was born out of Judaism. The first Christians were Jews. And the early worship of the church was very similar to the worship in the synagogue. And plus... Paul, every time he went into a new city, guess where he went first? Went to the synagogue. He taught his own people, the Jews, the gospel there before he went on to teach the Gentiles. By the time Christ was born... There were Jews at every level of Roman society. There were very wealthy Jews. There were business, merchant class Jews. There were Jews who were slaves. They were at every level of Roman society. And and the Gentiles, as the Jews traveled all over the known world, the Gentiles began to hear about the one God, the one true God of Israel. And so you step back and it's as if God has placed his chosen people in strategic positions to help move the gospel forward. And that's exactly what he did. Why was it needed? Because it was also a moral mess. It was just a mess. It's funny, really. The Roman Empire has produced the greatest artists, philosophers, educators, writers. This is the empire that has produced Aristotle and Socrates and Euripides and Aristophanes and Seneca and Cicero and Julius Caesar. Rome was the epicenter of the world's literature and poetry and music and architecture, home of the the greatest military machine the world had ever known. And technological advances, they had water that came directly to their homes. That wasn't running water like you and I have. But through the viaducts, they had water that came right into their homes. They had indoor toilets. Never had a nation existed that had accomplished so much in literature, education, technology. And yet, it wasn't enough. It it, it could not provide... A meaning for life. It could not point the way to lasting significance. All of that could not answer the questions. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is this life all about? There was nothing in all of that. That could fill the God-shaped hole. That was inside every human heart. So they needed a savior. Because it was place of superstition and paganism and sexual immorality and murder and perversion and dishonesty and corruption and the worst kind of brutality. It was in every sense of the word a broken world, broken dreams, broken promises, broken homes, broken hearts. And God shined a light into that darkness from a little stable in that little nowhere town called Bethlehem. It was a time of fulfilled prophecy. What had started way back in Genesis kept moving closer and closer. And God had promised over and over and over again that He would intervene in history. And and He promised that, that one day, the right day, Messiah would come. Like a funnel, prophecy kept Narrowing things down. The promises kept getting more and more and more specific. And then it happened. Then the angel appeared to Zechariah. And then to Elizabeth. And then to Mary. And then to the shepherds. And then some wise men in the east saw a star. And they knew that the king of the Jews had been born prophecy had been fulfilled god set the stage for the coming of christ and it happened just like he said not one minute before not one minute too late but when the right time came god sent his son but will you think with me for a moment what if christ had never been born how would the world be different? Just imagine for a moment that some cosmic hand has reached down into civilization and just completely erased Jesus Christ. He does not exist. He's erased Christian influence. That means that there are no libraries, no books, no encyclopedias anywhere that have any trace of him or his life they're gone. In the world's museums where paintings like The Last Supper and Christ on the Cross. Where those paintings have hung, there are empty spaces on the walls. Because the great cathedrals and the great chapels have, are gone, they don't exist. There is no creation of Adam painted by Michelangelo on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. There is no Statue of David that he carved. They don't exist. The New Testament does not exist. And neither do the writings or the works of of writers like Dante and Milton and John Bunyan and Max Lucado. If Christ had not been born, then the Christian schools and universities would be erased from the earth. Do you realize that for the first several hundred years of higher education, every college and university was started by Christian people for Christian purposes to train clergymen, religious scholars. But if Christ has not come, then there is no Oxford. Or Cambridge in England. There is no Harvard or Yale or Princeton. No University of Pennsylvania. No Columbia. No Dartmouth. No Rutgers. No Notre Dame. No Wheaton. No Moody Bible Institute. No Indiana Wesleyan. No Grace College. They don't exist. There would be no Methodist hospitals. Or Baptist hospitals or Lutheran hospitals, or Catholic hospitals, because there would be no Methodists, or Baptists, or Lutherans, or Catholics. In fact, would hospitals even exist? The first hospitals were started by Christians. There would have been no anti-slavery movement, no civil rights movement, no Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, no free public education. There would be no Christian radio, no Christian TV, no Christian books, no Christian magazines, no Christian music of any kind, no hymns, no choruses, no gospel songs, no Billy Graham crusades, no Martin Luther, no uh, Protestants, no Reformation, no rescue missions, no prison ministries, no missionaries spreading the gospel. There would be no Christian relief agencies helping, hurting people all over the world. There would be no Samaritan's Purse, no World Vision, no Children's Ministry Fund, no Salvation Army, no Bible Societies, no Youth for Christ, no Campus Crusade for Christ, no Fellowship of Christian Athletes, no YWAM, no YMCA. No Habitat for Humanity. No Christian colleges or seminaries or Bible correspondence schools. No Christian doctors or Christian lawyers or Christian dentists. No Christian businessmen and women giving, donating their time and their resources to the kingdom of God. There would be no Christmas carols. No Operation Christmas Child. No little children singing away in a manger. No little drummer boy, no I'll be home for Christmas. No Christmas program. No Rudolph, no Frosty, no Ralphie with his Daisy Red rider range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. No Santa Claus because he was Saint Nicholas before he became Santa Claus and there would be no saints. No churches anywhere if he had not come no no flora methodist no first christian no flora presbyterian no living faith church of the brethren no first baptist no valley view no new hope community church we wouldn't be here there would be no building no people no staff no worship no children's ministry no sanctuary no sermon we would have nothing to preach about none of the things that we take for granted, it would all be gone. Vanished. You think you were upset to discover Santa Claus wasn't real? It gets much worse. If Christ had not been born, the promises of God are still unfulfilled. The world would still be in darkness. There would be no bridge across that gulf of separation because of sin between us and God. If Christ had not been born, we would never know that God is love. There would be no gospel to believe. There would be no Christmas, no Easter, no Thanksgiving, no pilgrims seeking religious freedom. Would our nation even exist? There would be no St. Valentine's Day. Christ had not been born, there would be no hope beyond the grave. We would still be lost. We would have no Savior. There would be no good news for anyone to preach. Listen again to the familiar words of the angels and think about what it means for us. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Jesus Christ says, if I had not come, but thank God He did. When the right time came, God sent His Son. And we have an assurance of provision, an assurance of provision. God is sovereign. That means he rules over everything. That means that he rules over the affairs of men and nations. That that, that means that God can and does raise up one ruler and take another down. He controls the entire course of human history preparing the world for his son to arrive. You see, with God, there's no such thing as fate or coincidence or luck or karma. For God's sake, I wish Christians would strike the word karma out of their vocabulary. Folks, that is a pagan concept. There is nothing Christian, remotely Christian about it. With God, there is no karma. Guess what? If there was karma with God, every one of us would be going to hell. Nothing ever happens by accident or by chance with God. All things work together as part of His eternal plan. And somebody here needs to hear that today. Somebody here needs to hear that because some of us are wondering, or if we're really honest, we're afraid that God has forgotten us. I mean, we are so looking forward to the end of of 2013 because this year has not been good to us. There has been pain and struggle and loss and difficulty in relationships and in our homes and on our jobs and in our finances and in all other areas. And the the truth is, if we're gut-level honest, we're not really thrilled about what 2014 has to offer either. And so we need to hear this. For every problem, God has a provision. Did you hear me? For every problem, God has a provision. Fear not, children of God. His timing is perfect. When the right time came, God sent his son. And when the right time comes, he will keep all of his promises to you and me. Jesus came to earth at precisely the right time, not a second too early, not a second late. And so do you realize that that means that the first Christian miracle took place long before Bethlehem? Over century after century after century after century, God prepared the world for the coming of his son. And I'll tell you what else it means. It means that whatever miracle or deliverance or help we need has been moving our direction since the creation of the world. God sent His Son. Some translations say He sent forth His Son. And what it means is that He was moving toward us when we were moving away from Him. That He was moving toward us when we didn't even know we needed Him. God sent His Son into a world that did not know He was coming and didn't care that He had arrived. There was no welcoming committee in Bethlehem. I read this week about a man who was trying to turn his life around and go in a new direction. And that's admirable. Uh, but he said something that caught my ear. He, he said that he was hoping that God would meet him halfway. And I think, you know, by that he meant that, that he'd taken some positive steps and he was hoping that, that God had taken some steps and maybe they'd meet somewhere in the middle. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, no. No. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. That's not how it is. It's not that, that, you know, we have to take a step and then God takes a step. And then God's like, okay, what are you going to do? And we got to take another step and then he takes a step. That's not how it is. It's not even that we take one step and God takes 99 or 1,000. God always makes the first move and the next move and the next move and the last move because God sent His Son. He sent His Son. He sent His Son to where we are. God meets us where we are no matter where that is. See, I don't... It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to minimize anything anybody's going through but it doesn't matter what mess we've gotten ourselves into or what bad situation that we find ourselves in or what series of, of bad decisions and wrong choices got us to the place where we're at. God meets us right where we are. And you know what? God doesn't say climb up here you got to work for it. No, he comes down to where we are. And he lifts us up to where he is. But why? Nobody said it better than C.S. Lewis, who said the Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of man could become the sons of God. That's the miracle of the promise. God comes to where we are and lifts us up to where he is. Have you thought about where you would be if Jesus Christ had never come to earth? Have you ever thought about where you would be, how your life would be different if Jesus had not been born. I challenge you to do that. Now between Christmas, will you think about that? Think about how your life would be different if Christ had not been born. Think back to the way you were and the changes he made in your life. Time is swiftly passing by. It will be Christmas morning before you know it. You know, it's Thanksgiving, just got over Thursday, and the stores have already got Christmas stuff in there. Can you imagine that? But soon it'll be Christmas Day, and we'll gather with our families, and we'll open gifts, and we'll eat a virtual carbon copy of the meal that we ate on Thursday and for which some of us is not fully digested yet. And God has a Christmas gift for us. Not one wrapped in pretty paper and bows. But one wrapped in swaddling clothes. Lying in a manger. The gift of his son. For you and for me, it's still there. Do you hear me? It's still there. Again, I don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you are. I don't care what just the circumstances are. That gift is still there. And it's yours, it's mine to personally receive. And the truth is, Christmas, we will not enjoy Christmas until we can look the Father in the face and say, I believe and I receive the gift you have for me. In the Christmas carol, a little town of Bethlehem, there's this this beautiful stanza. It says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Now your heads, please, and close your eyes. Father God, we're thankful, we're excited and thankful because of your promise, because of the promise, God, that was made